90.7 WTCC, good morning. 
Welcome to the Spoken Word. I'm your host, Bishop Talbert Swan II. And as usual, we'll be telling it like it is through cultural idioms and nuances that shape the order, ethos, and chaos of the African-American experience. Words have their own vitality. They shape their own consciousness and create their own context for interpreting social and spiritual reality. The spoken word contains the power to reshape the landscape of society. Seven minutes past the hour of uh, 9 a.m. And I want to thank Mr. Kenneth Barnett for bringing us up until the 9 o'clock hour with the promise. You can hear the promise every Monday morning from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., bringing you the best in gospel music. Good way to start out your Monday morning. Great way to start out your week. Um, And what a week it's been. Um, So I'm ready to rock and roll. Just got out of our uh, 70th anniversary convocation of the Nova Scotia jurisdiction. I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, And um, certainly we had a blessed time um, during the week. There's um, things happening this week. Tomorrow night at the Spring of Hope Church, tomorrow night at the Spring of Hope Church, 35 Alden Street here in Springfield, um, will be the Centennial Celebration Service. It is the 100th anniversary of the chartering of the Greater Springfield Branch of the NAACP. And um, our events this week in celebration of that is a Centennial Service on tomorrow night at 7 p.m. And the guest preacher will be the Reverend Dr. Atu White. And we want to invite each and every one of you to come out to this momentous event celebrating 100 years, one century of advocacy um, by the Greater Springfield NAACP. You want to be there. And then on Thursday, on Thursday at Shea Joseph Banquet Hall, 6 p.m. is the social hour, 7 p.m., uh, is the banquet is the centennial celebration banquet, and our keynote speaker is Bishop J. Lewis Felton, uh, pastor of the uh, wonderful Mount Airy Church of God in Christ in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, community activist, first vice president of the Philadelphia NAACP, theologian, um, preacher, and orator extraordinaire. You don't want to miss Dr. Felton. And you want to be there uh, for this celebration banquet on this coming Thursday. You can go to our website, naacpspringfield.org, or go to our Facebook page. You can purchase tickets right over the, our Facebook page, um, Greater Springfield NAACP. So that's all happening this week. Um, uh, this morning, I can't, I can't n- not talk about the U.S. Open. i got to talk a little bit about the U.S. Open. And um, uh, then President Barack Obama went on the offensive, uh, rebuking um, that orange apparition in the White House. I'll talk a little bit about that. This was the first week for the NFL, and Colin Kaepernick weighed in on the anthem protests. On the anthem protests. Um, See if we can get to that. And if we have time. Um, living while black, a black man just murdered senselessly in his own apartment in Dallas, Texas, and the controversy surrounding that. 
Uh, tune in live, WTCCFM.org, Hope Radio 1, Hope Radio number 1.org. Uh, Catch me live on Facebook, Facebook Live at Talbert Swan, Periscope at Talbert Swan on Twitter. Yeah, I'm back there <laughs> at Talbert Swan. Um, all kinds of ways that you can uh, chime in on the discussion uh, and make your comments. And also, uh, you can certainly call in um, to the studio at 413-736-2781, 413-736-2781. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Jesus, I can always tell where my worshipers are. 
because they can't contain themselves. Because when you think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for you, your soul's got to cry out. Your soul's got to praise him. So come on, y'all, sing it like this. It's true. Like the world. And y'all, it comes. WTCC. Good morning. Welcome to the Spoken Word. Good morning to everybody under the sound of my voice listening at 90.7 on Hope Radio on WTCCFM.org. Good morning to everybody watching us on Facebook Live on uh, 
uh, Periscope and Twitter Live. Uh, good morning to each and every single one of you. Tell somebody uh, that the bishop is on the air uh, and they can tune in and they can catch us and they can chime in on the discussion. 413-736-2781. So there was some big, big, big controversy over the U.S. Open um, on yesterday. Um, there was a heated dispute between um, Serena Williams and the umpire. Um, um, and um, she was playing in the uh, finals against um, uh, Naomi Osaka from Japan, um, who beat her in uh, this Grand Slam showdown. Uh, but it ended up in tears for both players. Now, first, let me back up because Naomi Osaka was born in Japan. Her mother was Japanese. Um, and so I have no problem, you know, with them saying, you know, the first time a Japanese person won the U.S. Open. But every single um, media interview that she has done that has talked about her ethnicity and her heritage, she this, this isn't me. She has taken the time to correct them and let them know about her Haitian heritage. And because she, they want to pretend like this ain't a black woman. You know, um, so uh, she was doing one interview uh, talking about her culture, Japanese culture, et cetera, et cetera. And she says, well, I was born in Japan. Um, um, but when I was three. I moved to New York. Uh, my father is Haitian. I grew up in a Haitian home. This is what she says. So while, you know, you want to give credit to her Japanese heritage, that's fine. Her mama was Japanese. Don't try to erase the black from her. Um, I mean, look at her. Okay. T take a look at the sister. <laughs> you know, um, um, take a look at her and you understand that she is a black woman. So this was an all black U.S. Open final. Um, but there was some controversy, always controversy whenever Serena is involved for whatever reason. Um, um, what was supposed to be this fairy tale matchup for Naomi Osaka because this young 20 some odd year, I think she's 20 years old or something. Um, young lady um, had the opportunity to be in a matchup against the player she idolizes most. Um, so this was supposed to be a historic fairy tale uh, matchup that spun out of control after Serena was handed code violations uh, that she thought was unfair. Um, they've hit her with thousands of dollars in fines for three violations. Um, um, but this umpire, I mean, th this woman is a, despite all of the obstacles and all of the stuff that has been thrown at her and everything has been thrown at her, uh, including the kitchen sink, um, she's still a 23-time Grand Slam champion. If she had won that, she would have tied the record. Now, I, I don't think there's any coincidence that Serena was on the verge of tying the record when all of this stuff happened. Don't think that was a coincidence, y'all. 
Um, um, and she's faced racist attacks for most of her career. And then after the match on Saturday, she said it's not only racism, but it's sexism that's running rampant uh, in tennis. And if you take a look back, you can see it. You can see it over and over again. So Serena called the umpire a thief. Um, the, the umpire was Car- the name was Carlos Ramos. Um, she was handed a series of code violations. He first gave her a code violation warning for coaching because he said her coach was giving her hand signals from the stands. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. What was he doing? Wiping his nose? Waving a bug away from him or something? But he interpreted that as her coach giving her code signals, hand signals, rather. And Serena told the umpire, I don't cheat. I'd rather lose than cheat. And she was rightfully offended by this umpire basically accusing her of cheating, getting signals from her coach from the stands. So there was that. Then she got a point penalty for smashing her racket, right? Then she got a game penalty. He gave her a penalty for a whole game. First, he gave her a warning that was bogus. Then he stole a point from her. Then he took a whole game from her, saying it was verbal abuse because she called him out on stealing the point and calling him a thief. Mm. So at the news conference after, what Serena said was something that we ought to listen to. She said she's seen male players call umpires many different things far worse than calling them a thief for stealing a point and said that she was fighting for women's rights and for women's equality and that for her to say thief and for him to take a whole game away was completely uncalled for and then she rightfully said he's never taken a game from a man for saying thief or saying anything else. Um, Billie Jean King, um, tennis legend, um, and also an equal rights advocate, um, agreed with Serena. She said that when a woman is emotional, she's quote-unquote hysterical, and she's penalized. But when a man does the same thing, he's quote, outspoken. Um And there are no repercussions. And so she thanked Serena uh, for calling out this double standard uh, and said that more voices are needed to do the same thing. And, and, you know, we know Serena gets the business. She gets the business. She's been drug tested more than any other player in tennis, male or female. Um than any other player. They make up rules based on Serena. Serena comes out in a cat suit in her first major tennis match 
you know, uh, after giving birth. And what did they do? <laughs> they changed. She, she said she was inspired by the movie Black Panther. Um, but they decided, you know, they're going to change the rules. Outlaw catsuit. Just because Serena wore it. I mean, when they make rules based on what you do, I mean, come on. She has, she's had to deal with body shaming, uh, criticism over being dark, over her features, and she's always taken the high road. She's always been the classy one. And then even when the crowd was booing at the award presentation, Serena went and put her arm around Osaka to console her because she's the goat. She's the greatest of all time. And some folk can't handle the fact that this black woman is the greatest of all time. I mean, that's the deal. Um, but let me... Let me move. Uh, let me move uh, into the political sphere. Uh, Barack Obama was on the campaign trail. Four one three seven three six two seven eight one. Four one three seven three six two seven eight one. He made his return to uh, the political arena um, to help Democrats in this upcoming November midterm election. Um, and for the first time, he publicly called out Donald Trump by name. Now, Mike Pence, uh, the sham of a vice president um, that we have, had the nerve to talk about he was disappointed <clears throat> that Obama um, broke tradition and has become political. Uh, talking about the Trump administration. Um, now, for 10 years, for, for a whole decade, Trump has been throwing shade at Obama for ten, literally for 10 solid years. The entire eight years he was president and the nearly two years that, that Trump has been in office on a daily basis. This orange apparition has been lying on, birtherizing, talking crazy about Barack Obama. And now all of a sudden Pence is disappointed that Obama said something about Trump. Man, go fly a kite in a lightning storm. Okay? 413 736 Two seven eight one at the University of Illinois. Uh, Barack Obama said the country is in a backlash moment. That that those young people happen to be coming of age during one of those moments, and he was clear it didn't start with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a symptom, not the cause that he is capitalizing on resentment that politicians have been fanning 
for years of fear and anger that's rooted in the past, but it's born out of enormous upheavals that have taken place um, during our lifetimes. Um, um, this was the first speech in which he called Trump by name. He addressed his tone-deaf comments uh, last year when he claimed that there were some very fine people on both sides of the Charlottesville protest in which Heather Heyer was killed by a Nazi um, at the Unite the Right rally uh, that saw white supremacists squaring off against anti-racism protesters. Um, Obama said that we're supposed to stand up to discrimination and we're supposed to stand up and unequivocally condemn Nazi sympathizers. And he asked the question, how hard can it be to say that Nazis are bad? How hard can that be? Good question. Good question. And then for all his bloviating about a strong economy, Obama gave Trump a reminder about who started the economic upswing in the country. He reminded him that by the time he left office, household income was near an all-time high. Uninsured rate hit an all-time low. Poverty rates were falling. And so he said, I just want to tell you this because when you're talking about how great the economy is doing, let's just remember when that recovery started. Mm-hmm. Then he applauded the Me Too, the women of the Me Too movement, which is a reminder uh, that Trump is has been credibly accused of uh, sexual assault by many different women. Um and, and he reminded us that the threat to our democracy is real and that although Donald Trump is a symptom of it, it doesn't just come from Donald Trump and that we've got to watch out for indifference, cynicism uh, that has led people to turn away from politics and stay home on Election Day. And he encouraged the young people um, that were eligible to vote that they had a responsibility to get out and vote and to try to change things that are happening in America. And I hope, and let me say this because, and I'm sure this probably applies to many of you that are watching me um, uh, streaming now in other parts of the country. Uh, But even here in my city, um, we've got to shake the apathy uh, when it comes to the political process and civic engagement. It was horrendous. I wish I had the numbers in front of me. I'm going to look them up. But but it, the, the, the turnout in this primary here, at least here, I don't know about your city and town. You can call in and let me know um, um, what the, what the uh, turnout was. Um, but it was horrendous here in Springfield. It was pathetic. Um, <laughs> I need to get the numbers. I mean, it, in in one particular ward, 
uh, where there was a state rep race, we didn't get a thousand people to, to vote. I mean, that it, it, that's insane. Here they go. Let me see. September 4th. September 4th. And I mean, yeah, yeah. The, wow, these these numbers are these numbers are pitiful. And I believe we've got. Yeah, there it is. We have a hundred and nine thousand one hundred and sixty one registered voters. Let me say that again. One hundred and nine thousand one hundred and sixty one registered voters. Mm hmm. And out of that one hundred and nine thousand registered voters, y'all. We got a total of 14,451 people who voted. 14,000. 14,000 out of 109,000. That means 95,000 registered voters stayed home or for whatever reason didn't think it was important enough to cast a ballot. 13% voter turnout. 87% of the red. Now, I'm not talking about all over the country. I'm talking about right here in the city I'm broadcasting from. 87% of the registered voters in this city didn't think it was important enough to vote. Now, if I start breaking down that 13% by white, black, and Latino, it gets even worse. Okay? I mean, it gets even worse. As I stated, for one of our races, one of our uh, representative races, we did not get a 1,000 people in that district to come out to vote. And that was a majority district of people of color. You know, black folk, Latino folk, Asian folk, people of color, you can't fuss and complain about the unfairness in government, the corruption in the political process and the political construct of America. And then uh, when the time comes to go out and vote, cast a ballot, make a decision on who's going to be in government, 
You can't take the five minutes that it takes to go to the polls and vote. I don't I don't have conversations. I don't have political conversations unless it's to encourage them to vote with people who don't vote. Unless we're talking about why you need to go vote. We're not going to have no political conversation in the barbershops or wherever I am. I don't entertain people talking about politics that don't vote, especially when people died. So your rusty behind would have the opportunity to get out and vote and you won't do it. Eighty seven percent of the registered voters in my city stayed home. I don't know if they stayed home or not, but they didn't get to the polls. 87%. 95,000 out of 109,000 registered voters didn't bother to vote. All of y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. Every single last one of you. 413-736. Two seven eight one. It's quiet in here this morning. It's usually quiet when you're spitting truths. So the anthem protest continued first week of the NFL. The, the anthem protest continued during the first week. And uh, Miami Dolphins wide receivers Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson took a knee um, prior to their game against the Tennessee Titans. It was their act of civil disobedience um, and protest in the 2018 NFL season. Um, That follows a more low-key moment on Thursday before the Philadelphia Eagles played the Atlanta Falcons. Um, The Eagles' Michael Bennett sat down near the end of the anthem. And now the man who launched the wave of player protests in 2016 is weighing in. Colin Kaepernick, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback and current Nike spokesman, and they're losing their minds Uh, over Nike choosing him as a spokesman and someone to um, feature in their 30th anniversary campaign of the Just Do It slogan. You got crazy folk burning their own sneakers. Nike already got y'all money. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, um, uh, he's weighing in. He praised Stills and Wilson in a tweet on Sunday. Uh, He said his brothers, Kay Stills and Wilson, continued to show their unwavering strength by fighting for the oppressed. They haven't backed down even when when attacked and intimidated. Um, And I'm glad to see there are some that still have heart. Um, um, Even in the throes of this crazy so-called president uh, being their loudest critic. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes. Um, good morning. When 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 this when cities uh, go out to borrow money, one of the, the factors that determine their their rate, um, their credit worthiness, or their 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 rate when the bond issues is when uh, voter participation. Uh, there are other factors, but 
one of the factors is called the quality of life. And voter participation is one of the qualities of property values, high school graduation rate. Absolutely. Employability. And, and, and um, there, there, there are three major credit rating agents, not the consumer, but Moody's, um, uh, Standard & Poor's. They rate the cities like Springfield. So when these credit rating agencies, uh, not the consumer, when, when a city like Springfield wants to hire teachers, uh, clean the streets, et cetera, build schools, they don't have the money. But they go to the financial markets to borrow money. They'll have $30 million or $50 million to build a new school, but they have to go to these, these financial institutions to borrow money. So a, a, a city like East Lyme, Connecticut, or, or a city like, like Africa in California, they have a 94% voter turnout, or, or, or Sugar Heights, California, or, or, or Sugar Heights, Ohio, or McLean, Virginia. They have a, a 95% turnout rate. You know, it's ridiculous. And, we, and here in the last uh, an election last week, a 14, a abysmal 14 percent turnout rate. You know, so so no wonder, you know, when 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 the city of Springfield can't, you know, afford to clean the streets, you know, ridiculous. That's why we find, that's why we have dirty streets. That's why we have low, uh, you know, you know, like, um, uh, you know, we, we have we can't afford to hire the best, uh, you know, um, like a, 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 a school district like uh, Old Lyme, Connecticut, they can afford to pay teachers uh, $100,000, science teachers. And these, and these teachers can, can, can um, inspire a math and science teachers can go, have their students and go on to the best schools in the country. And so we, we have no reason not to blame ourselves. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, you for taking my call. Yes, sir. You're absolutely correct. We've got nobody to blame but ourselves. 13% came out to vote. 87% of y'all stayed home. You ought to be ashamed. Let me remind you of the NAACP banquet this week, and then i got to move out your way. Uh, Cynthia Butler is in the studio coming up next with Midmorning Jazz, Great Black Music. This program has been underwritten by the NAACP Centennial Celebration. The Greater Springfield NAACP is celebrating 100 years from 1918 to 2018. To commemorate this milestone, the branch presents a celebration service on Tuesday, September 11, 7 p.m. at the Spring of Hope Church, 35 Alden Street. Keynote speaker, Reverend Dr. Atu White. The Centennial Freedom Fund Banquet on Thursday, September 13th. 6 p.m. at the Shea Joseph Banquet Hall. Keynote speaker, Bishop J. Lewis Felt. WTCC would like to thank the NAACP Centennial Celebration for underwriting with us. All right, y'all. I got to go. Remember, I won't see you this week on Tuesday. See you this week on Thursday. I got to get out your way until the next time. I talk to you and you talk to me. Always remember, God loves you, and so do I. The views and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WTCC Radio or Springfield Technical Community College.
Say his name.